Thank you, Jeremy, for leading us. Um, I'm super thankful for Jeremy and all of our, our small group leaders who lead throughout the week. Um, it is super um, encouraging to just meet with folks and, and discuss the word and pray for one another and love on each other. And so if you're interested at all um, at the hospitality tent right after the service, there's um, or you can go to the website or the app and see the opportunities for for small groups here at Red Oak. Um, sometimes it's awkward to go to a small group and like not know anybody. Um, so you might need like a good conversation starter. So I'm going to give you one. You, you go up to somebody and say, hey, do you believe in the supernatural? Like demons and angels, God, the devil. That's sure to start a good conversation. And the reason I use that as an example is because that's what we're talking about tonight. Um, everybody has a stance when it comes to the supernatural. Um, in a recent article released July 20th, 2023, writer Julia Shapiro says this, Americans' belief in God, the devil, and other spiritual entities has fallen to a new low, according to a Gallup poll. Look at this chart. Hopefully, it'll work. Is it going to work? Yes. Look at this. From 2000 to 2024, next year. This is fresh. <laughs> they updated it since I looked at it. Um, so look how far it's dropped. Like belief in God has dropped from 90 to like 75%. This is in America. The, these are people who believe in the supernatural. Do you believe in angels? Do you believe in hell? Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in the devil? Do you believe in Satan? Right? So if, if belief in God drops, all the other beliefs and all the other things drop as well. Um, I'm going to, uh, I'll put the link in a, to this article in the email this week. But um, what I wanted to do before we get into the text tonight is I wanted to read a brief excerpt from uh, the Screwtape Letters, uh, which was written by C.S. Lewis in 1941. All right, so this was written a while ago. Um, and if, you haven't, if you're not familiar with this, it's a work of satire. All right, so it's a, it's a novel written from the perspective of a senior demon. Um, his name is Screwtape. And uh, he, he's writing to a younger demon apprentice whose name is Wormwood. Uh, and so he's writing to give effective strategies on how to tempt human beings. Right? So with that in mind, listen to this. He says, my dear Wormwood, like uh, demons would use terms of endearment towards one another, obviously satire, I wonder you should ask me whether it is essential to keep the patient, that's the human, in ignorance about your own existence. That question, at least for the present phase of the struggle, has been answered for us by the high command, that's Satan. Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. We are really faced with a cruel dilemma. When human beings disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism, and we make no magicians. On the other hand, when they do believe in us, we cannot make them materialists and skeptics, at least not yet. I have great hopes that we shall learn in due course how to emotionalize and mythologize their science to such an extent that what is, in effect, a belief in us, though not under that name, will creep in while the human mind remains closed to belief in the enemy, and that's God. The life force 
the worship of sex and some aspects of psychoanalysis may here prove useful. If once we can produce our perfect work, the materialist magician, the man, not using but veritably worshiping what he vaguely calls forces, while denying the existence of spirits, then the end of the war will be in sight. In the meantime, we must obey our orders. I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping your patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights. And perhaps in, in his mind, since that cannot, they can't believe in that. It's an old textbook method of confusing them. He, therefore, cannot believe in you. So, it's, uh, it's interesting. I hope that piques your interest in, in that. If you've never read that, that work, it's very fascinating to read. Um, but it's something that we don't, we don't think about often, um, that we're not presented with often in our modern context, right, in our culture. And my prayer tonight is that we would not walk away in the dark, but, but that we would let the Word of God shine light on our understanding and shape and form our worldview when it comes to the supernatural. So with your Bibles open to Mark chapter 1, uh, we're going to be in verses 21 through 28 tonight. Um, last week, we saw that Jesus uh, came to deliver his mission and message with authority. The king has arrived on the scene to usher in the kingdom of God, proclaiming the gospel of God. And the challenge last week was for all of us to submit to Jesus as ultimate authority, for us to bow the knee to him, acknowledge that he has total um, allegiance from us, that he's the sovereign ruler over our hearts and lives. And in our passage tonight, we're going to see Jesus's authoritative teaching backed up by his authority over spiritual forces of darkness. So the theme continues from last week to this week, the major theme being the authority of Jesus is completely and utterly unique. So let's pray before we read God's word together. Father God, we praise you for your word. We know that it is unlike any other word that we have read tonight. We, we praise you that we got to gather in this room to, to worship you, to exalt you, the name above all names. We know that your word tells us that you are love, what we just got done singing. Your word tells us in Psalm 40 that we read together corporately that we should fear you and trust you and we will be blessed. And I pray that if there's anybody in the room tonight who has never feared you in right relationship, in worshipful adoration, They've never trusted you, would trust you tonight and not be afraid of anything seen or unseen in this world. Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So this is an amazing 
and dramatic scene. Uh, it's really, this is a, what we just read about is an exorcism in church, in public, right? And the main point is the authority of Jesus' teaching. Look at verses 21 and 22. Um, we, they were astonished at his teaching. Back in, in verse 15, we saw Jesus preaching the gospel, and now we, here we find him teaching in the synagogue. The main reason for Jesus coming to earth was to preach and teach the gospel, to bring the kingdom of God on the earth. Notice that the people were astonished. They marveled at his teaching. And Mark doesn't tell us what he was teaching. This is one of the interesting points about Mark. He doesn't give us a lot of Jesus' teaching because Mark is pointing out what Jesus did, not necessarily what he said. That's why we have other gospel accounts for that as well. So the people were astonished because they'd never heard anybody like Jesus before. This, th- this was unlike any of the other normal teachers that they're used to hearing. Jesus was immediately recognized as different from all the other teachers of the law, all the other Pharisees, all the other scribes, anybody who would get up to read the word of God, anybody who would get up to quote another rabbi. They'd never heard anybody like him because Jesus didn't get up. Like when I, when I teach, I quote a lot of people. I read other people, right? I don't speak out of my own authority. We read the word of God. We preach from the word of God, right? We know the word of God has authority. I in and of myself don't have authority. Jesus didn't have to quote anybody. Jesus didn't have to look towards anybody or look to anybody. He is the word. He carries the word. He presents the word. And so he preaches and teaches uniquely because Jesus' words carried weight, now, last week, they don't fall to the ground. They never fall to the ground. They always accomplish what he says. His word is full of substance. It's never flat, right? And because Jesus spoke with authority, people were shocked. And he didn't just use words from other people or traditions of man. He was the word promised himself. Look on the screen. Luke 4 should be up there for you. And this is God's word. It says, as was his custom, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, the gospel, to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. He didn't even expound upon it. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Never before had anyone ever said anything so boldly. Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God. He's the word fulfilled. He's the word in the flesh. Jesus would say things like, You've heard it said. Do not murder. But I say to you, if anyone hates another person in their heart, then they're guilty of murder. Right? So Jesus raises the bar for us. He said some other shocking things like, you've heard it said because you've read the law. You know the law. You shouldn't commit adultery. But if anyone looks at lust on another person, they've committed adultery in their heart. They're just as guilty of that sin. 
So he's not just reading the law, but interpreting it and applying it and exposing the sin beneath the sin in our hearts. William Lane said this, Jesus' word presented with a sovereign authority which permitted neither debate nor theoretical reflection confronted the congregation with the absolute claim of God upon the whole person. The absolute total authoritative claim of God upon the whole person. Jesus taught with authority because he is the king. And people were astonished. They were amazed. They were shocked. They'd never heard anything like this before. They'd never seen anybody like Jesus before. Because this teaching was full of life. It was vibrant. It was captivating. It was applicable. Right? It was cutting to the heart. It was clear. It was compelling. It was convicting. It wasn't cold or dull or dead or lifeless, right? Which reminds me of, uh, we were on vacation last week at the beach. We don't have cable, so we never get to flip through channels. We were flipping through some channels, right? Seeing what's on TV and came across like some kind of service. And this dude was up there in all his ornate garb, holding his hands up. And he was like reading this big book and he looked about as live as a dead caterpillar on the road, (laughs) reading this book. I mean, he was just so dull, so dead, and it panned out, and it showed the congregation, and everybody looked like they were asleep. I mean, it was just completely lifeless. There was no engagement, right? The whole place was just completely bored to death. When Jesus is teaching... Nobody's going to fall asleep. Everybody's locked in, right? Things below the surface are about to be awakened. The unseen is about to be seen and revealed. Look at verse 23. Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So here we have a clash of authority, the clash of kingdoms, if you will, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. Uh, I don't know if you understand what you're reading here is um, there's a demon-possessed man in church, y'all. And who knows how long this dude had been coming to the synagogue. And before, he was never bothered by anybody else teaching. Nobody else had gotten up and had bothered this unclean spirit in this man. But when Jesus gets up, it's not shallow. It's not surface level. His teaching pierces the heart. He speaks to the souls of all in attendance. And this unclean spirit or demon, if you will, Mark uses both of those words interchangeably throughout his gospel. This spirit is foul and fearful, unclean. Why is he afraid? Because the enemy knows that his time is short. The demon knows the authority and power that Jesus has to destroy them. If you analyze the the two questions and the one statement that he says to Jesus, you learn a lot about the supernatural forces of darkness. He says, what have you to do with us? Basically, he's saying, this is our domain. We are ruling here right now. Get out of my face. Why are you here? Mind your own business. This is not your time. And notice the title that he calls Jesus. He says, 
Jesus of Nazareth. So he, he acknowledges Jesus' humanity. This is a real historical person. That Jesus is from this little town, nowhere, Nazareth. But the foul spirit also knows that Jesus is more than just a man because no man could do what the spirit was afraid of. We know this by the second question that he asks. Have you come to destroy us? In his commentary, Mark Strauss says, the kingdom of God is invading the adversary's domain and his evil henchmen cower at the awesome authority of the stronger one. I love it. Jesus is the stronger one. Jesus has the authority to destroy this spirit, to put away the spirit, to abolish, to put an end to, to ruin, to render useless, to kill the spirit, the unclean spirit. Only God can do that. And that's why the spirit ends with the statement, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And the darkness not only recognizes Jesus' humanity, but his divinity as well. The spiritual forces of darkness acknowledge Jesus as the God-man. They know Jesus is fully God and fully man. So there's a stark difference between the scribes and the Pharisees who refuse to acknowledge who Jesus is. But the demons who know him, they know exactly who Jesus is. And there's a massive difference that we, need to be, that we need to point out here in this passage. You can know who Jesus is and fail to submit to him. You can acknowledge who Jesus is rightly and say Jesus is God, Jesus is man, fully God, fully man, and fail to trust him. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. That's why there's a difference between believers and followers of Jesus. Because people can believe and be religious and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I also believe in Muhammad. I also believe in whatever. Name your religion. I believe in all of these things. There's a difference between believing in Jesus and trusting him. Now, sometimes people say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I don't like to bow to Jesus. I don't want to surrender to Jesus because I like to have control, right? The, the devil and demons know God is real. They know him, but they will never trust him. They will never trust him. They will never bow. Most people love the idea of Jesus being their savior, but they don't like the idea of Jesus being their Lord. They love the idea of Jesus saving them from an eternity of hell, but they hate the idea of Jesus being Lord over my life. Like we said last week, Jesus commands total allegiance, total obedience. He's not just Lord and he's not just Savior. Jesus must be, he calls for, he's worthy of Savior and Lord over my life. And here's some good news. If you acknowledge Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord over your life, you can't be possessed by a demon. You don't have anything to be afraid of. Darkness cannot dwell where light is in the same place. And believers, followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ, are free from demonic possession. That's really good news. But, we're not free from oppression. 
what we witness in the text is light clashing with darkness. The unclean spirit had authority over this poor man's life. He's speaking through the man. This man is under the authority of dark forces, which have just met their match and is now trembling in the face of Jesus. Let's see what Jesus' reaction is in verses 25 and 26. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. So Jesus clearly disapproved of this spirit blurting out in church and says, you got to go, right? Jesus literally shut him up. The statement is Jesus put a muzzle on his mouth. He's exercising divine authority here. He speaks and things happen. Notice that he didn't have to lay hands on him. He didn't have to pray. He didn't have to read the Bible. He didn't like hold up a crucifix and wave it around like you see in the movies. There's no mixing of potions, no, no saying incantations here. He didn't have to wave a wand. It's just pure divine authority. Jesus says, be silent. In other words, close your mouth. Shut up and come out of him. And immediately the demon obeys. He's put in check. Not only is he speechless, but he's got to come out of the man. Once again, Mark Strauss says, exorcism is about purging an evil presence and restoring a person to a right relationship with God, family, and the religious community. The description of the demon's response to Jesus' words is very illustrative. He says, convulsing or crying out loudly. So this was unmistakable. Right, this is a dramatic spiritual battle, a clash of authority between the king of light and the darkness. Matthew 4 says this, In leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, and in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Jesus is the light. He's the light of the world who's come in to disperse the darkness and bring people out of spiritual oppression into the light of life. So the power of the God-man set this poor man free from demonic possession. Now, we don't know, we aren't told what the man's name was. But I would imagine that he did a pretty good job of spreading the fame of Jesus after being set free from demonic possession. And he wasn't the only one who was amazed, who was astonished, and who talked about this. Look at verse 27. And they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Once again, nobody had ever seen this before. They were astonished and they were terrified. Jesus' authority is frightening. He has authority over unseen spirits. He speaks to the unclean spirit because purity has authority over foulness. So listen to this, follower of Jesus. If you think you're in a fight for purity in this filthy world, remember this. 
You are not fighting for purity. You are fighting from purity. Because the pure one has already given you purity. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He purchased your purity at the cross. He made you pure. We're called to believe it, to trust him, to live it out. And I don't want us to miss something that's easily overlooked in verse 27. It says the people were amazed. It doesn't say, man, this Nazarene is gnarly. Right? Or, or, hey, guys, a new exorcist is in town. Or, man, this new man has power over the spirits of darkness. It says that they marveled at his teaching, a new teaching and with authority. So Jesus' message and teaching was the main point here. The Gospel of Mark is focused on Jesus' person and work, not necessarily on what he taught. The point is what Jesus did, his authority. He's exercising authority in every realm. Strauss says this, Mark's point is that the exorcisms reveal Jesus' authority to accomplish his central mission and message. The proclamation and inauguration of the kingdom of God. Satan's realm is being beaten back at the advance of God's kingdom. So the miraculous was just validity to the teaching that Jesus had just gotten done with. And Jesus never once says, hey guys, all spotlights on me, right? Jesus never, we never see Jesus drawing attention to himself in this way, right? The opposite is in fact what we see. We, we see Jesus telling demons to shut up and to leave. We see Jesus healing people and then saying, don't tell anybody. Y'all know how good people are at keeping their mouth shut? Not very good, right? You tell somebody a secret and say, don't tell anybody. Most likely, what are they going to do? They're going to go tell somebody, right? Look at verse 28. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. At once is another phrase for immediately. So Mark continually uses this phrase, right? And everybody's like, have you heard? Have you seen? Did you hear what Jesus happened? Did you hear what Jesus did? Dude, do you know what happened last week in church? That was crazy. Did you hear what the demon called him? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. Because his fame spread so quickly, word of mouth is faster, right? It's faster than Facebook. It's faster than Twitter. It's faster than Instagram. It's faster than, is it Twitter anymore? No, nobody calls it X. It's really, it's Twitter. It's, fa it's faster than that. It's faster than CNN. It's faster than Fox News. It's faster than the media. Did you hear what the demon called him? The Holy One of God. The Holy One of God. A phrase often used in the Old Testament referring to Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. Exciting reverence. The Holy One. Shockingly pure. Immaculate the most sacred one, the supreme deity, the sovereign God, the stronger one. The demon recognizes Jesus' humanity and divinity. So I got a question for you. Is your theology better than the demons? Is your theology better than the unseen forces of darkness? 
Jesus' fame is still spreading throughout the regions of the globe. Have you heard? Are you amazed? Do you today marvel at Jesus' teaching? Jesus came not only to seek and save the lost, but to rule and reign in the hearts and lives of men and women, boys and girls. And he has absolute authority, clearly seen here, over creation, over the seen and the unseen realm. All of the natural and the supernatural must submit to his authority. I couldn't help but think, like, while reading this and studying it, like, this phrase kept popping into my mind. You better recognize, like, recognize who Jesus is. Do you recognize his authority? Are you acknowledging his authority in your life? That he's the rightful king of your life? Are, are we saying, let your kingdom come, let your will be done? Are we praying that? Are we living that out in our lives? Are we spreading his fame? Like you might not have been possessed by a demon and Jesus set you free, but I guarantee you that you could testify that the Lord has brought you out of darkness and into his light in some form or fashion or way. You could testify about how he has set you free from something and how he has given you eyes to see the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of this, this teaching, of Jesus' teaching with authority, backed up by the authority over the spiritual forces of darkness. In a way of application, I believe that there's a few things that we need to be aware of and acknowledge when it comes to the supernatural, especially since this is the last weekend of October. You know, driving back here from the coast, we saw a lot of billboards for haunted houses, corn mazes, you know, I always find it fascinating why people want to pay $25 to have a dude dressed up in some scary costume chase them with a chainsaw through a cornfield. My what? You can get adrenaline kicks another way. I don't understand it. But C.S. Lewis says this. We need to be aware of two extremes. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, the human race, can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So some people tend to obsess over seeing angels or demons. And some people live in perpetual fear of angels or demons. Satan isn't under every rock and a, a demon's not behind every tree or in every abandoned house that you pass on the road. But on the other hand, People can swing all the way to the other end of the spectrum. And some people live as if there is no such thing as the supernatural. That there's, there's no such thing as angels or demons. That the devil's not real. They never acknowledge the reality of the darkness. Some go as far as to remove the supernatural from the Bible. And say there's really good morals and principles and values in the Bible. But we're just going to skip over all of that supernatural stuff. We'll ignore that. We'll take that out. Refuse to believe in that because we're realists. Here's the deal. The enemy would love for you to be in one of those two camps. He would love for you to get caught up in one of those two extremes. To live in fear or to live in denial. 
my prayer is that we would have a healthy, balanced perspective when it comes to the realities of light and darkness in the world. Because here's the reality. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. There are real spiritual forces of darkness in the world. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Jesus has cosmic authority over all of the cosmic powers. That's why we're instructed to take up the spiritual armor of God in this same passage in Ephesians 6 to protect ourselves as followers of Jesus, to fight against the lies of the enemy, to put on the helmet of salvation to protect your mind, to put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect your heart, to strap the belt of truth around your waist and stay grounded, to put the shoes of peace on your feet and walk around proclaiming the gospel of God, to take up the shield of faith to extinguish the fire of the enemy's lies that he shoots at you every single day to take up the sword of the Spirit in your hand and to wield it, which is the word of God, to cling to it and slay the lies of the enemy. And finally, let us not overlook the power of prayer. It says, pray in the Spirit at all times, everywhere and in every way. Talk to the Father. Stand strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might because Jesus is our victory. We don't live in our own authority. We don't fight in our own power. We live and fight in the authority and victory of Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. And remember this, you're never alone. You're never alone in the fight because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of every single follower of Jesus. We have no need to fear because our Father is for us. The Spirit is is dwelling in us, and Jesus is with us until the end. Listen to God's word, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And Paul ends that chapter by saying, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We should find comfort here. We should find rest here. We should find peace here because Jesus is with us. The Spirit is in us and the Father is for us. And that should be what we declare, what we proclaim, and how we live our lives. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your word. Jesus, we praise you for your cosmic authority. Your power is unequaled. Lord, in your teaching, we stand amazed. As we read your word, as we see the authority of your commands, as we see your authoritative teaching backed up by the authority that you exhibit and exercise freely, not breaking a sweat, you drive out the spiritual forces of darkness. God, I praise you that at the name of Jesus, the enemy has to flee. 
the demons tremble at your name. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in the room tonight who has never bowed the knee to you and acknowledged that you have all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth, I pray that they would do that tonight. Lord, and they would acknowledge that you are king, that you are the rightful, supreme ruler over their heart and over their life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring people from darkness to light tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.